Welcome to episode 88 of Breakout Culture. I'm Ed Vasey, the culture editor of Country and Townhouse magazine. And I'm Charlotte Metcalf. I'm the associate editor at Country and Townhouse. This December marks the centenary of Lucian Freud's birth. Celebrated, the National Gallery has gathered around 60 of his works spanning seven decades from all over the world. The exhibition is called New Perspectives, an important exhibition that encompasses the best of his work from the early 1940s till his death in 2011. There are other shows coming up too. The Garden Museum in Lambeth is showing Freud's plant portraits. Gagosian in Mayfair has an exhibition highlighting the friendship between Freud, Auerbach, Bacon and Michael Andrews. And the Sigmund Freud Museum in Hampstead is staging its first ever exhibition of the artist's work, The Painter and His Family. There's also a show at Hasland Holland Hibbert in Berry Streets and Jameses, which is exhibiting some of Freud's rarely seen drawings, etchings and metal etching plates alongside some never before seen photographs by David Dawson. As well as being known as Freud's longtime assistant and close friend, David himself is an artist and a superb photographer. And these photographs are a revelation, particularly as many of them were taken in the days leading up to and immediately after Freud's death in 2011. I've been lucky enough to see them with David Dawson, who also took me for a sneak preview of the exhibition at the National Gallery. And we're delighted to have David with us today. Good afternoon, David. Hello there. Nice to be here. We're also very lucky to have with us today Daniel Herman, who is the curator of modern and contemporary projects at the National. And in that role, he's curated new perspectives, bringing together Freud's paintings from all over the world, including the portrait Freud did of the Queen. Good afternoon, Daniel. Good afternoon. Pleasure to be here. So, Daniel, can I start with you? Lucy Ford obviously has a massive reputation. Tate Liverpool did an exhibition of his work quite recently, which I saw last year. So my question to you is, what is going to be different about this exhibition at the National? There's been fantastic amount of uh, shows about Lucien Freud and Lucien Freud's work in the past. There's also a lot of publications about Lucien Freud and his work in the past. But I think we now have the chance as the National Gallery, as a historic collection, to take stock of Lucien Freud's work on the occasion of his 100th birthday and actually look, what is it that makes these artworks as artworks relevant? How do they work with the with the distance of history? What makes them relevant and what makes them still such interesting, fascinating, engaging and, and poignant paintings today? It's an absolutely fantastic show. Tell us what we're going to see at your show, David, because there's a room, a really moving room in which you've taken these extraordinary photos of the last few days of Lucien Freud's life. Tell us what we're going to see in, in that room, including that wonderful portrait you've done of Freud basically on his deathbed. Yeah, so the 12 photographs I've chosen are the sort of last month or so of Lucien's life. And even though he spent every day in the studio, Lucien would have to rest quite often. And these photos are, are taken of the being in the house with Lucien and showing you really the collection that he lived with. Tell us a bit about that, because there's an amazing photograph of his bedroom with an enormous bacon in it, for example. Leeson really believed in living with great art. It certainly improved one's life. So he had a fantastic portrait that he always lived with of the Bacons and 20 or 30 Auerbach paintings and sculpture he lived with. He had some Rodin sculptures and Degas. So, so these fit the group of photographs just sort of give you a, a sense of quietness that the house holds in a way. You know, it's the final days and it's a very sad, reflective time. Thinking about them now, it brings back, a, you know, a certain amount of emotion. But hopefully it conveys how Lucien lived and how he painted. You know, Lucien always painted in his homes, always. And then that portrait I took of Lucien on the sofa was 
a few days before he died, but it was a very peaceful moment. And I just thought he looked like a, a saint. It looked like an El Greco painting or something. Yeah, and above him is the constable. And there's a, there's a beautiful constable portrait uh, above him. But it's very quiet and dignified and respectful of that moment at the end. I mean, I took a photograph of his boots the morning after just to try to comprehend when someone's no longer with us, what that feels like. But that's a very, very sad emotional experience but now 11 years on you know we have this fantastic show at the National Gallery I'm really pleased to be involved in it and you know there's some great great paintings of his entire career and and also the very last painting that Lucien was working on is the final painting in the show. What was the last painting he was working on? Me and me and my whipper Eli it's called <laughs> Portrait of the Hound and it's you know Lucien, Lucien worked on it he are you clothed, David? Are you no. wearing anything? No, no. <laughs> well, there's a, there's another very strange painting of you in in the exhibition when you're actually your head is on a woman breastfeeding. Tell us the story of that. So that was a very large portrait he was painting. He was doing in the studio, and in the foreground, there's his great friend, the writer Francis Wyndham, reading Flaubert's letters. And in the middle, mid-ground, and it, there's a wonderful in this painting. There's a wonderful sweep that you look, Pluto the Whippet's on the floor by Francis Wyndham's feet. And as you look through and up the canvas, there's a, a person in the centre, mid-ground, and then you look through the window out of the studio to the street ahead. So it's, it's this amazing vista. So then in the, in the middle ground, Lucien was painting Jerry Hall with her newly born Gabriel. And it, Lucien was getting rather anxious about the painting not quite working how he wanted it and it was a bit too perfect and it wasn't going how he... It was really agitating him and this did not help matters but there was one moment when... One morning when Jerry didn't manage to come on time and with Lucien's punctuality being incredibly important to him, he couldn't wait... He, he was too nervous and too agitated to wait. And I, since I was around, he just said, oh, just you sit there. <laughs> so hence, <laughs> hence I, my head was then transposed on top of Jerry's body. <laughs> and it, made, it just made Lucien laugh a bit and make the painting a bit more awkward and more to Lucien's, felt it more a more successful outcome. Daniel, you're grinning caused... away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I love that anecdote. I think it's a, it's a fantastic story, but I think it also tells us something about what painting as a medium can do that hardly any other medium can. It's about the creation of narrative over time. We so often these days start to judge works of art on the grounds of photography as the main uh, way of how we understand the world. And that is, painting is not that. Painting takes time. Painting takes place over many, many sessions of sitting, about weeks, months. And uh, it allows us to bring things together that perhaps have never existed to create narrative narrative stories and a truth that's beyond just the, the visible. But you must have spent uh, many years planning the sh show, Daniel, with David. How did you choose what works you wanted to have in the show? I mean, you've got the 1941 painting of refugees, which is not that well known, right through to Lee Bowery and Big Sue, which are much better known pictures. How did you kind of thread them all together? The key thing for us was that we were uh, we had to be able to, in a way, treat and look at Lucien Freud's work as if we do any other of the artists that we exhibit in our collection, also with a historic mindset to it. That's something that we can bring to the table that no other art gallery can in the same way. So what that means is that we um, really wanted to make sure that we can be critical. In, in the past, I think Lucien Freud has such a fantastic 
name and such a fantastic life, but that, that very often his biography has almost overshadowed his work. And we felt now was the time that we really wanted to look at what makes these artworks fascinating, what makes them important, and what makes them still resonant with, uh, resonate with um, viewers and other artists today. What was really interesting for me about, about the show was you had this big room called Power next to the sort of flesh room. And Power was, was a side of Freud we don't often see, which I noticed that just before we came on air today, the, the Nationals pinged out a little thing saying, eight reasons to see the show. And one of them was rather positioning him as a sort of court portrait painter, you know, painting very, very powerful men from sort of Jacob Rothschild and, and Baron Thiessen and, and so on. So tell us why you chose to present that side of him so strongly. I think it was something that was just um, very striking when going through the development of uh, Lucien Freud's work from the 1940s to the 2010s, really, that there was always an affinity and a real fascination with power in all its different guises, be it uh, power in terms of painting uh, other artists who were influential and, and and, um, and relevant, be it uh, politicians, people of state, be it people of industry. So there's this this idea of power, and it goes along with a way of painting that uses the medium of pain to convey vitality, to convey vim, vigor, and uh, you can see brush strokes being articulated to highlight the strength in people's facial features, but also to really distinguishing uh, distinguishing the paint strokes and the brush strokes in a way that conveys power. That very often seems to happen in portraits of public power. And it's contrasted, actually, with moments of not just public power, but also personal frailty. When uh, Lucien Freud's father, Ernst, uh, an architect, dies, uh, Lucien Freud's relationship with his own mother, Lucy, becomes um, more intensive. They make time for each other again. And they spend this time in the best way that Lucien Freud knows, by making, well, sitting for art together, sitting for paintings together. But apart from paintings, Lucien Freud also draws. And he draws his mother in watercolor, in charcoal, in pastel, in graphite. All of those media that are, in contrast to painting, not quite as vigorously con uh, connoted, but have connotations of, of, of tenderness, of um, something that is gentle. And this contrast between public power and finally the um, private frailty and in the case of his mother, the death of his own mother, it becomes a, a quite poignant contrast that I thought was important to highlight in the exhibition. I mean, like all good Jewish boys, he loved his mother. He was always trying to get away from his mother as a boy. <laughs> <laughs> but it is telling that on the death of his father, that his mother, who was, went into severe depression and attempted suicide, that for eight years he would he would go and pick her up every day, bring her to the studio, and she would just sit there and he would paint. He did this remarkable group of paintings of her until she got better, until one day she said, oh, I feel better now, I'm OK. Lucien was fascinated by people. He really is a, a, a great portraitist. He was fascinated by all people, and that's where... So, and individuality, and that's where, as Daniel was talking about power, but it's the individuality of the person is what fascinates Lucien, be they you know, a girl that works in the butcher's shop or being, you know, the, the captain of a huge international industry. He shows you something that we recognise but we hadn't seen before. So you've got the Queen and Andrew Parker Bowles, the late Majesty the Queen and Andrew Parker Bowles in the exhibition. Yeah. The Queen 
he would have had to visit her to paint her. Yes, we did that in St. James's Palace. And he would have had to be on time. Lucian was pretty accurate with his punctuality. We tried to, we were going to do it at her, you know, in the studio in Notting Hill, but the paparazzi got wind of it. We had many sittings. I think it was 19 or 20 sittings. And I'd always take Lucian in because we always took, we kept the painting with us and then we'd bring it in and I'd set up the easel and the paints. And then once the, the Queen arrived, I'd do my bowing and a few words and then leave and then go and pick him up two hours later. Lisa was very, very impressed by her and her position. It's a fantastic portrait, to be honest. It's about the size of a postcard. So it's a, it's a domestic format for uh, one of the most important people in the world. And it's a close crop of her face. It's, it faces the viewer directly and it shows um, on the head of her, uh, of her head the diadem. And what you can see is that, that, that Freud really teased out the, the character of the sitter through the medium of paint to convey, yes, a, a likeness, um, but also a character, and uh, that I think is quite fascinating and, and quite quite impressive with that portrait. Also, the size is is on quite a practical level. That Lucian worked quite slowly, so therefore this is one way of hope, him having a chance that he might finish the painting, which he did. The other extraordinary thing with Lucian is he he paints small paintings, but the power that comes out of those paintings when they're hung on a wall is quite something. So that even though you say it's a very small painting, it holds the room. It certainly does. Wasn't the Queen fed up with nineteen sittings? She wouldn't show it if she was. I think she was rather, well, I think she was rather pleased because Lisa gifted the painting to her. I think that cheered her up. And of course, I've just remembered, of course, they would have shared an absolute love of horse racing, wouldn't they? Exactly. That was the key, wasn't it? And dogs. (laughs) All animals. Did they swap tips? Probably. They knew this. I mean, they because they were of the similar generation, they knew the same, you know, they knew the, Lisa knew the trainers. And some of the horse owners. Oh, they must have gotten like a house on fire. Yeah, well, quite, yes. He was really good company. He was really good fun to be with, Lucien. That was another reason why everyone kept going back for months on end to sit, because he was an amazing conversationalist. Yeah, he was good fun to be around. You wanted to hang around with him. Because all the um, myths and prejudices that I take to this conversation, one is... Why was he friends with Andrew Parker Bowles? But I guess that was the love of racing. Yeah, it was horses. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's such a good portrait. I mean, it's so sort of dissolute. Yeah, yeah the uniform unbuttoned. And Lucian and Andrew would go, you know, when Andrew was the brigadier at the Blues and Royals, you know, in Knightsbridge barracks, Andrew would arrange for horses for Lucian to go galloping around Hyde Park on. And alongside the power, Daniel, you were t- talking earlier about the enormous amount of tenderness that there is. In, in in this exhibition, yeah, I thought that was um, that was interesting. When we were um, looking at the, the show and essentially the conventional wisdom that people usually think of when when thinking of Lucien Freud, then he's very often known as the painter of of nudes. He's uh, very often thought about a painter of of his lovers, and all of that might be true. But there are a number of portraits that are actually double portraits, and Freud was extraordinary in conveying intimacy. On the, on the canvas uh, between sitters that go far beyond eroticism. So there are portraits of um, sisters and siblings together. There are uh, portraits of married couples, portraits of people who have relationships and the, the paintings, the canvases evoke these relationships in an intense and uh, touching way that I find incredibly humbling. The biggest point I make though is that it all comes down to trust because the sitter is in a position of who's completely undefended and vulnerable and you trust completely 
Lucien. And the other thing I've always been intrigued by is artists being friends with other artists. I mean, uh, it's interesting the hour back, Hockney, Bacon, Freud friendship, because they were also technically kind of great competitors. Can I just go back to one of your photographs, David? There's the brilliant photograph in your exhibition of where there's Hockney sitting next to his portrait. And as you press the camera trigger, Lucian Freud bursts into the room and it looks like a stage place if he's about to murder everybody because he sort of bursts through the door. It's an astonishing photograph. Artists learn from other artists. We'd always come into the National Gallery to look at paintings. And Lucian, oh, you know, he famously said that he, he uses the National Gallery like going to the doctors to work out a fix a problem it doesn't come into the feed into the work directly but you know there's a painting of the two of Bella and Esther Freud sort of lying on the sofa together well that in a way is is from the it was it's now been demoted as a Corby but in the National Gallery there's that wonderful portrait of two girls on the on lying down by the river that was a um, assigned to Corbet. Well, that sort of comes from that painting. You know, artists always feed off other artists. And, and you know, every time Lucien was close to completing a painting, he'd always got Frank Auerbach to come and have a look at it and give his overview and have a talk. And if Frank said certain things, then Lucien would change things. What happened to all of Freud's paintings after he died? Yeah, so all the... The collection went in lieu of tax, so it went to the nation. So museums around the country could put in a in a request as to why they should have a certain work. And they did. They got this spread throughout the country. I mean, going back to what you were saying, Ed, about having preconceptions about Freud, because I always thought of him as rather a brutal painter. When I started um, uh, researching the show and getting more and more into the subject of Freud, I, of course, I had also heard all these headlines of oh, Freud of the unrelenting view, Freud of the, the harsh gaze, Freud of the dissecting view. And all of these are semantics of, of harshness that um, I think were only introduced to Freud in the 1980s and 1990s. He was not talking about like that before that much and uh, when you look at the paintings you understand why because here are people who spend time together in the space of the studio in those canvases you can see how Freud is tremendously careful observer a very very distinct observer and all that care actually goes into these uh, canvases and the, the people that are portrayed on them and that is a very very touching and very humane way of looking that is actually really interesting and it includes people from all walks of life it includes bodies of all kinds and shapes and it's really a celebration of the human form it's it's, it's beautiful in that way i mean that's that's what i found there's, there's a great respect for their vulnerability which i had not really seen before portraiture and painting is a dialogue we are not talking about snapshots we're not talking about photography this is not something that just happens in a moment it is an ongoing dialogue between a, a sitter and her maker that extends over time and uh, it is a very very different way of making an artwork that really requires as david said a lot of trust um, a lot of interaction a lot of time and uh, it is a very different outcome it's also means that I think we as viewers, we as onlookers, as beholders, um, also can spend a lot of time looking at these artworks. And when I talk to contemporary artists now, we become more and more interested in figuration again. Um, it is that time that Freud took to look at his sitters, but also the time that, it, that his artworks des deserve to be looked at 
that makes them really radical painting. And as one of the artists in our catalog says, radical painting requires radical looking. And I hope that that's what our visitors are going to get out of the show. Well, he was certainly prepared to turn his unflinching gaze on himself, wasn't he? And that you've hung that fantastic nude he did of himself. Tell us how you've hung it, Daniel. It just looks fantastic in that last room. This is very, very important painting from 1993, uh, which was made for a very important exhibition at the Whitechapel Gallery at that time that really presented a lot of Freud's work at, at the time. It's the full frontal portrait, self-portrait of the artist presenting us with a, with a palette knife and a palette. And uh, the whole painting shows Freud in a way that turns his own gaze onto himself and presents us with the artist's view, but also prevents, presents us with a chance to actually look at the way that the artist creates this idea of the self. And it is created through the act of painting and through the modulation of paint on canvas. The more advanced um, Freud's work became, the more he equated the idea that painting is also there to transcend, to, to convey life and also to transcend death. In the end, what stays behind is the painting. And what you also see in this show is, you know, because it's it's a, a paintings from the very early days, it's those those early portraits of his wife, um, Kitty, and then Caroline Blackwood. You know, they're painted on such translucent grounds, you know, they and they're, they sort of have this over-intensification of reality in a way. It's almost hallucinatory, the realism of it. Um, and you can see then how he progresses at... You know, and then he met Francis Bacon and Lucien was completely captivated how what Francis Bacon was doing and how he painted. And Lucien turned his brushes into a more tougher um, sable brush, hog hair brush. And you can see him then trying to make in his language what Francis was doing, which was paint what you feel. And he saw Francis Bacon every day for about 15 years. And it was a massive influence on how he how he painted, really. And, th and you can see it quite clearly as you walk through the rooms in this exhibition from the very finely painted early the room two, how the brushes change, how the size and the scale changes. But what does remain is the intensity of the gaze and the intensity of Lucien pushing as hard as he could on every painting to make it the best possible painting he ever could paint. And it never let up. I really think that um, Lucien Freud is a fantastic artist of, that, that merits slow looking. And I think we live in a, in, in a time where we are inundated with um, easy and, and quick images. And I think um, in contrast to that, to really engage on a, on a journey of slow looking, of uh, really interrogating what we know about our, uh, Freud so far and, and to uh, reassess that and to discover Freud anew with a fresh mind, with fresh ideas and with fresh questions. I think that that's what I hope visitors will get out of the show. That's certainly what it was for me. It was exciting. It was um, poignant uh, and it was endlessly interesting. I would love for visitors to, to have a similar experience. And the other thing I think about Lucien's paintings, about looking at, it's that trying to understand what's going on inside someone else's mind, which is unknowable. And he gets close to that, I think, in these portraits and the way he painted, you know, over many, many months or a year or two years. It's that interior life of the sitter did he ever stop painting a portrait because he didn't like the person he was painting? Yeah, once or, once or twice. Who? Um, oh gosh, you caught me there. I've forgotten their names. There's this rather famous choreographer in New York who hated the painting so much that he destroyed it. Oh, really? I mean, Lucien didn't. The sitter did, yeah. And what about, presumably people asked him to paint their portrait and he said no? 
many, many people ask that. <laughs> um, I'm not saying who. I'm not naming names. Oh, on that come one. on, David. It's the whole point of this podcast. How are we going to get any listeners if you don't spill the beans? No, Lucian only, you know, he did only like painting people he, he sort of knew very well. Towards the end of his life, he risked more, a higher risk chance of seeing someone very, someone that fascinated him or interested in him. But that's much higher risk if that person doesn't know what punctuality means or can't commit to many, many, many months of sitting in the same chair. You have to give up half your life. I mean, people sort of had nervous breakdowns because they like said given their life to Lucy and Freud for a year. But, but also, if you were one of his sitters, you know, he painted an awful lot of people asleep. Well, it's that thing of if you're spending a long time, you know, many hours with someone, it's, that, it's like that intimacy of, you know, lying in bed with someone and you're watching them as they sleep, you know, and it's like trying to work out what's going on in their minds when you're that gaze well it's and it's something very attractive being in a room and someone's dozing off to sleep and you're just you know it's a very it's a very quiet atmosphere and quite a good one quite a good subject for lucian to paint you know he never tried to direct people as to how they sat or where oh really it was more the sitter had to be the person that made the painting that's the other interesting thing what did he think of the ybas he found them fascinating. I mean, he found found them lively. He th- he really liked that they had an o- they found themselves an audience. He thought that's one major step to being an artist. You've got to have people wanting to see what you do. Well, in your catalogue, there's a chat with Tracy Emin, isn't there, uh, Daniel? Yes. Yeah. I thought uh, for for us it was really interesting when we talked about intimacy and how artists um, convey intimacy on the canvas. To me, that was also the question of friendship. How do you how do you convey friendship on a canvas? And um, when it comes to Freud, well, David, who is an artist himself, actually uh, has a best friend who's also an artist. And I wanted uh, to to have those two artists speak to the notion of friendship in uh, Freud's work. Well, and that other artist happens to be Tracy Emin. So we have this wonderful conversation between David and Tracy uh, talking about friendship and intimacy and what that means in art and how, how it is conveyed through the work of an artist. I introduced Lucy to Tracy a couple of times and Lucy was quite impressed how contained she was and you rather liked that she had good manners and yeah he's quite impressed by her and I think Tracy's a, a serious seriously good expressionist painter she's a seriously good contemporary artist um, and we were at the Royal College why we know we, we were both at the Royal College together me and Tracy in the same studio. She's been on this podcast, actually. And Ed, Ed, you know Tracy quite well, don't you? I know pretty well. Yeah. David knows her a lot better. Anyway, these shows are absolutely fantastic. So tell us when both shows open. The uh, exhibition at the National Gallery will open to the public on the 1st of October and it will continue well into the new year. And the Hazlitt Holland Hibbert exhibition opens October the 6th until, I'd say, eight weeks. Well, thank you both so much. That is absolutely fascinating. And they're both such wonderful exhibitions. So good luck with them. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much, Charlotte. Thank you, Ed. Thanks, guys. Next week, we're going to be talking about opera and dance and some of the exciting shows, some of them touring, coming up this autumn and winter. We'll take a look at how the English National Opera and Ballet and Ballet Rambert are adapting popular movies and TV shows from Peaky Blinders to It's a Wonderful Life. So tune in then so you can start booking up your shows for the season ahead. As usual, you can find us at countryandtownhouse.com.
www.thepodcastmagazine.com, where you'll find the latest digital edition of the magazine, as well as our sister podcast, Houseguest, with Carol Annette talking to some of the most fascinating and influential names in interior design. We love your feedback, and we'd also like to hear if there's something you'd like to hear us profiling. So please do leave us a comment or email us on charlotte at countryandtownhouse.co.uk. Thank you very much for listening. See you next week. Bye. Take care. Bye.